Welcome to the Star Singer Podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Van Boxtel, and I specialize in the art and science of vocal performance, helping singers just like you to give amazing performances so that you can feel comfortable, confident, and in total control of your voice every time that you walk on and off stage. This podcast is here to help you on your journey to becoming a star singer. So let's push play on this episode. Today, our guest, Michael Elsner, is going to show you four steps to getting your music on TV. He's a guitarist, songwriter, and producer who's currently had over, are you ready for this? 2,200 placements of an original music on TV shows, films, and commercials, as well as video game trailers. So this is so exciting because he's done it before and now he's going to show you how you can do it. So we talk about in this episode and it's a totally different episode than anything else and I think it's going to be really great for people who prefer like you want to make a big impact with your music and you want to make a big impact with your singing. You want to create some awesome music but maybe being in front of crowds isn't your thing. I mean, maybe you don't want to be up there in front of people and you want to have the freedom to create music. You want to have the freedom to create different kinds of music whenever you want, which is really exciting. So we talk a lot about that freedom and what that looks like in Michael's life. And we also chat about what the heck even is sync licensing, how you get paid and how sync payments are calculated the five different types of music placements, all of the variables that are going to affect sync licensing payments, and how sync licensing gives you the freedom to create and the freedom to run your own business and life the way that you want, how to get started and different path options that you can take. And we also talk about how to turn 10 songs, like if you have an album with 10 songs on it, Michael is going to show you how you can turn that into 80 tracks that you can license. So this is a very exciting episode, very new, very different. Usually we talk a lot about singing and performance, but this is a totally different take and I think that you're going to love it. So here we go. We're just going to push play on this episode. All right, I'm here with Michael Elsner, and we're talking about four steps to getting your singing, your music on TV. And we've talked about some things about the music industry before, but this is going to be a little different, and I think you're going to be really excited about it. And Michael, could you just tell us a little bit about you and your journey and how you help singers and musicians? Sure, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. Um, it's actually, uh, Woodstock is the town that I grew up in. Um, and, uh, it's actually kind of cool. We're having the 25th anniversary of, of, uh, of the 25th anniversary of Woodstock <laughs> actually this year. But, uh, I live in Nashville now. Uh, I left, I left New York in the late nineties and I moved to Nashville in 1998. Uh, prior to moving to Nashville, I played in bands for a long time, uh, you know, up in, up in that area and, you know, made my first record, uh, official first album in, um, um, 1996. Um, and, you know, basically just started a, a musical journey at that point. Uh, you know, the goal was always to, you know, play in bands and, and tour and have songs out on the radio. And, you know, really growing up, my dream was just to write songs that uh, people would hear. And, you know, and so growing up in the late 80s and through the 90s, um, you know, I believed that the path to get my music heard was you know to have uh, you know play in a band and you know, have a record deal and uh, you know have have music on the radio and have videos on MTV back when MTV played videos of course um, you know and that was that was the path that I pursued for a long time so I moved to Nashville in '98 uh, you know kind of started getting ingrained in in uh, in hanging out in studios and and uh, starting to pick up some session work toured with various artists. You know, was always pushing my songs and trying to get a publishing deal. And after four and a half years of that, 
uh, and getting turned down by a lot of different publishers here in town, I, I picked up and I moved out to Los Angeles. And I got out to Los Angeles in the summer of 2003. Uh, I was there for about, oh, like, uh, you know, six or eight weeks. And um, I, was, I went there on, on a mission. I was really focused on, on, you know, building my career as a guitar player and as a songwriter. And I ended up getting a gig on a TV show uh, playing guitar for the composer of a particular daytime soap opera. And I was there just, uh, you know, about two months when that happened. And that was my first experience doing anything in the TV world. Uh, you know, so I started learning how people were writing for TV and, and the different roles that were played within the, within the TV world. People like music supervisors, we all know who music supervisors are now, but back in 2003, you know, they, they weren't really, uh, no one really knew what a supervisor was and what they did. Uh, you know, and then I, I played in a band uh, for a number of years there, did three records, uh, you know, did, again, pursued the whole record deal uh, real hard. Uh, but along the way, I was, as, as, uh, as I was, you know, really pushing the, the, the music industry path of my career, I was having a lot of success on the side with getting those songs placed on TV shows and films. Um, and, you know, uh, around 2011 is when I just kind of took a step back after really analyzing everything that I'd, you know, gone through and, and uh, the career paths that, I, that I'd been on, uh, you know, for the last, you know, 12 years or so. Uh, I just decided that it was time to get out of Los Angeles. I moved back to Nashville and I just focused fully on licensing my songs to TV shows and films. And I started a company with a partner of mine, a uh, songwriting partner of mine out in Los Angeles, um, uh, writing music specifically for film and video game trailers. And, um, you know, over the last 15 years now, I've, I've had over, currently right now, over 2,200 placements of my own songs on TV shows and films and trailers and commercials. Wow. So what does that look like as far as getting paid and opening opportunities for other sure. things? Yeah, yeah. So the thing I love about it, uh, there, <laughs> there's a lot of things I love about uh, licensing music as a career path. Uh, the first thing is creatively, it is extremely rewarding because, you know, as, as opposed to the path that I was on when I was pursuing the record label, um, I call it like the record label, you know, pursuit. Um, yeah, I played in rock bands. And so, you know, we would just write rock songs and that was it. And any song that I wrote or co-wrote with other individuals outside of the band that was not a rock song, you know, how are you going to use that? You know, I'm, I can't put a pop song on, on, a, on, a, on a rock record that I'm doing with a band. What licensing did is it opened up the door for all those other avenues of music that I like to explore. Um, you know, whether it be a pop song or, or a country song or even uh, big orchestral pieces now that I've been writing um, to like bluegrass tracks, uh, to acapella, you name it. The cool thing about licensing is that there's a use literally for every style of music. Um, so creatively, it's extremely rewarding. Uh, financially, the, the finances come in, in two waves. The first wave is through the upfront licensing fees. So for example, uh, let's just say that today is, for the heck of it, we'll say today is, is August 1st, okay? If I were to get a license, secure a license for a TV show right now on August 1st, uh, I would get the sync license fees, those upfront fees, within 30 to 60 days, you know, maybe 90 days, you know, if, if they're really stretching through the payment. But for the most part, I'm going to receive that payment within, you know, a month or two. And that's the upfront fee. But now the deal is, is that even though I secured that license on August 1st, that TV show may not air until maybe the middle of September. Okay. Uh, so let's say that that show then airs September 15th. That's great. Um, I might receive my, my upfront fee on September 15th for all we know, but the, the, uh, the back, the second uh, portion of the payment is going to come through back end royalties. And that's the performance fee that you're going to get from your PRO, your performance rights organization in America. That's going to be CSAC, ASCAP or BMI. And, um, and those will come generally about nine, about nine months after the show airs. So if it airs, we'll say September 15th, then the reality is you're probably not going to receive that back end royalty until uh, sometime next summer 
when your you know your second quarter uh, royalty distribution comes out. That might be next you know June you know or July, depending on you know when your PRO releases those distributions. So, um, and then and then to make this even better is that if that show re-airs, let's say that show re-airs three months later, uh, or does a rerun three months later, then you're going to get another royalty. You know, again within about a nine-month period after that. It gets even better, of course, because a lot of these shows go in syndication over in other countries. So if that show airs here in America in, in September, it might air in Australia, you know, maybe next January or something like that. I'm, I'm going to start generating income as well from those international uh, placements, those international performances. So really, one placement creates multiple, multiple, multiple income streams over what could be many, many years. I'm still receiving income on placements that I had back in 2004, 2005, because while those shows aren't played in America anymore, they're still popular and they're still in syndication and, and on, in reruns in other countries. That's so cool. So obviously there is, ah, like a high and a low. There's obviously a range. Um, yeah. About... I don't know, like, let's say you do one song. I'm just thinking, like, for the listeners, like, who might be thinking, like, this sounds great, but, like, can I really make a living, like, just doing this? What is, like, a typical, and I understand there's probably no such thing as typical, but what is, like, a typical range that one might expect from one song that's successful? Okay, well, I can give you a range. I, it would probably be easier if I start by explaining how a lot of this stuff is calculated. Okay. Uh, because a place, there, there are multiple factors that will affect your income on one placement, okay? And it's going to start with the type of placement. So there are, generally speaking, five types of placements. Obviously, you know, one that we're all very familiar with is, is, is a theme song right? A theme song is like having a number one song. It's you've hit the mother load if you get a theme song. Obviously, there's there's not as many opportunities for a theme song. But if you get it, you're gonna you're gonna do very, 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 very well. Uh, that's the first type. The second type is a featured vocal. Uh, the third type is a background vocal, meaning uh, a featured vocal, for example, would be, you know, if, if the song is featured in the scene, let's say that the characters are actually maybe even singing along to the song. If they're driving down the, the road in a car, the song is playing on the radio and they're singing along to it, that would be a featured vocal performance because it's a vocal song and it's being featured, <laughs> okay? Uh, and then we can, you can pretty much from this point assume the rest. A background vocal would be a vocal song that's just playing in the background that's not being featured. So say there's you know two characters in a bar and they're talking and they're having a deep discussion, but way in the background is a, is a song with vocals being performed. That's not featured, but it's a vocal song. So it's really a background vocal placement, okay? And then the same with instrumental and uh, instrumentals. Uh, so you have a featured instrumental placement and you have a feature and you have a background instrumental placement. Okay, so the, the five total would be a theme, a featured vocal placement, a background vocal placement, a featured instrumental placement, and a background instrumental placement. The most common that, that we hear all the time are background instrumentals. Okay, so for example, if you watch a show on HGTV where they're building a house, the majority of that show will be just instrumental music in the background. So that'd be a background, background instrumental placements. So that's the first element that's gonna factor into what you're gonna earn. It's the type of placement. Uh, the next one is going to be the duration, okay? Uh, obviously, a song that plays for two minutes is going to pay a higher rate than a song that plays for five seconds. And so there are multiple steps. And each PRO, they have their own algorithm. I'll chat with you soon. They have their own algorithm to, to do this, um, to figure this out. But uh, let's say, for example, the first one might be one second to 14 seconds. That might be like, say, like a D level. And then you have 15 seconds to 24 seconds. That'd be like a C level, et cetera. As, and it would just go up. And the last that I, that I knew of uh, was two minutes and 15 seconds or more was like an A++ rate. Um, so that's going to be the next one. Um, then you have the, the type of show or the network. So a placement on a, on a network such as ABC, NBC, or CBS is going to pay more than a placement on say HGTV and the reason why is because virtually every single household in America uh, has ABC, CBS or NBC 
coming into them, whether that's, you know, via antenna or, you know, through cable. Um, of course, cable channels, you have to pay for the subscriptions. Okay, so there are a variety of, of different elements that will factor into the placement. Um, but to give you an example, uh, just so you can kind of look at some, some of the numbers, I had a song that was the first piece of music for seasons two and three of a, of a show called The Sing-Off, which was an acapella show um, <laughs> on NBC. And that piece was, I believe, 11 seconds. It was the very first piece in every episode. And each, it was a background vocal placement. It was uh, uh, on, obviously, prime time. So prime time is also a big factor, too. If, if your song plays at 2 in the morning, it's not going to pay as much as if it does at 8, 8 p.m. at night when you have a larger viewing audience. So it played at prime time on a network TV show. And each week that 11 second clip was bringing in around 440 or 480 dollars it was somewhere in that range uh just to give you an idea um so you have you have placements that can pay that i just uh, did a video actually um for uh on, on my website where i was showing a placement that generated 3300 dollars and it was just a two chord instrumental piece um, so you can generate, you know, placements like, you know, income like that. Um, a lot of placements, if they're going to be little five second clips on a, on a cable TV show, those might only generate a couple bucks. But the cool thing with those shows is that they play them over and over and over. How many times do you watch an H a show on HGTV and then you see it like three times per day and then they air it the next day and the next day and the next day. So one of the benefits with those types of shows is that, uh, they rerun them a lot, right? As opposed to a show on ABC or NBC or CBS where they might rerun it, you know, one other time a year. So it plays twice a year. A lot of these cable shows will air multiple, 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 multiple times. So while you do earn less per, per airing or per performance, you actually um, can earn more because of the amount of performances that are uh, rerun in, uh, in a quarter. So it... I hate, I can't really give you a specific number because it's, it's, it's on yeah, yeah, yeah. variables. You know, I've had a, right. I had a, I had a two minute placement on a, on a show on CBS that generated around $2,200 every time it aired. So you can see like right there between those two examples, one was 2,200, one was 400 and we'll just say 450 ish. I forgot exactly what it was. And then the, the other little piece that I had that was $3,300, um, you know, it's, it's quite a wide variety. And it really depends on a multitude of factors. Very. That's, that's so cool. What about, and this might be getting away from our topic and it might not be what we're, but what about like shows on like Netflix or Hulu? Like do those have a different sort of placement or are they a completely different thing altogether? Well, the, the real income from those is, is most likely going to come from the upfront licensing fees. The problem that I've found with those shows like Netflix or, or anything like that is that it's based on streaming. And streaming as a whole, in my opinion, has just destroyed every aspect of both of, of, of any industry. You know, uh, I know a lot of musicians who focus very heavily on streaming, you know, their songs on Spotify. And, and to me, I, I, the, considering the, the payouts versus the amount of streams that you need to have to have a, uh, you know, a decent payout. It just doesn't equate. So streaming isn't something that, that I'm a huge fan of. Um, streaming, I have yet to get paid, uh, even with the songs that I've had on streaming uh, shows. Uh, they, haven't, they haven't paid a whole lot compared to shows that are still on, you know, actual TV, whether that be cable or whether that be network TV. So for me, my focus is always on really the shows that are on the actual uh, non-streaming platforms. Interesting. And then just one more question. If your TV show, like, I don't know, like say like, obviously it's older, but like Star Trek, like we see a million reruns of Star Trek. It's running on Netflix right now. Yeah. Um, once they, what, what happens when the TV station or whatever, like allows rights to Netflix, is that still based on streaming or at that point, are you totally out of the deal? Oh, so this is a great question. And it depends. <laughs> this is actually something that happened to me recently. And, and this is actually a pretty funny story. Um, it actually depends on when, on when uh, you, you know, you would have secured those licenses. Now, granted, I've been doing this for 
uh, about 15 years now. So, um, you know, I'm not starting. I think nowadays, if, if you know, um, if you're, if you're licensing a traveling all the streaming areas now. But for example, uh, we all know Baywatch, very popular show back in the 90s, right? So back in the 90s, you know, a lot of, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, <laughs> David Hasselhoff. So uh, uh, I don't know if, you, if your listeners are aware, but um, I think it was Netflix or it might be Amazon Prime. It was one of those two. Uh, just released remastered versions of like all, I don't know, eight or nine seasons of Baywatch. Okay, so if you're, if you're really a Baywatch fan, you can go and you can stream them all online now. Um, but what Baywatch actually had to do was they had to replace over 300 songs in order for those, um, for those shows, for those remastered versions to go out. And, and here's kind of one of the reasons why. Uh, back then when those licenses were being signed, uh, in the contracts, no one could really predict where things were going. Right. So, so when they were, they were talking about the terms of the deal, it was like, you know, for home use and home video use and, you know, really physical, tangible products, whether that be a VHS or, or a DVD, right, for home use. But no one even conceived of streaming back in the 90s being anything that would, you know, happen, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later. So that was obviously not even in, in a contract. So these licenses that were signed back then for, for the perpetual use of their song in these shows did not cover the streaming aspect, the streaming technology. So they had to go back in order to remaster these songs and put them up on the streaming platforms. They actually had to go back and relicense or license 300 new tracks. And, uh, and you can look that up. You can actually Google that and you can read about it. Um, so yeah, so it, a lot of it's gonna depend on the contract the licensing contract, I, you know, nowadays they're pretty much all going to cover streaming. But generally, most licensing contracts for uh, a sync license uh, are going to include the perpetual rights to use that song for that show. It doesn't mean that they have, the, they don't have any ownership of your music. It just means that if you were to get your song licensed on an episode of Star Trek, uh, they can perpetually use that song for the next 50 years on that particular episode of Star Trek no matter what new technology comes out for them to deliver that show on, right? Uh, again, back in the 90s, they just didn't predict streaming, so they left it out. I think now all the lawyers have gotten more wise to the verbiage of the contract. So they're kind of covering every you know, platform now known or, or unknown heretofore and all that other garbage that they say. Um, yeah, so they're, they're pretty much covering themselves now to, to hold on to uh, that so they don't have to go back and redo things 20 years from now. That's so cool. Are you able to get the same song placed in something different or is there like a non-compete agreement? Oh, absolutely. So a license, here's, here's one, of the, one of the biggest misconceptions that I've learned that people have about licensing. Uh, licensing is just granting someone the right. It's kind of like, like if I played you a song right now, I let you listen to it, right? I'm kind of granting you, in a sense, a license to listen to my song, right? Um, but that's all I'm doing, is I'm just granting you the license to listen to my song. I'm gonna play it for you right now, you're gonna hear it, and, and you have the license to listen to it. Uh, and if I send it to you and you have it on your computer, then I'm granting you the license to listen to it in the future whenever you want to. You have no ownership over that song though, right? I can do whatever I want with that song. I can call up a friend after I get off the phone with you, and I can grant them a license to listen to that song. And I, and I can do this thousands and thousands and thousands of times till the end of eternity. So with licensing, uh, yeah, when, when someone licenses your song, uh, they don't own anything, aspect, they don't own any aspect of it, they have no rights to it, you're just granting them the right to synchronize, that's why it's called a sync license, to synchronize that song to their production, their video, their, you know, it's a visual synchronization, so they can synchronize your song to this specific section, and all this stuff is always spelled out in the contract, they're gonna synchronize, you know, uh, uh, 24 seconds of your song called Beautiful Day to this particular episode of this particular production, um, and that's all they have the rights to. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't turn around and actually license it to a show on another network that's actually at a competing show at the exact same time. You can do whatever you want. They have no ownership over it. You're granting them the right to synchronize your song to their production, and that's it. You're giving them the right 
they own nothing. That sounds amazing. I mean, yeah, it sounds business. It sounds great. So, I mean, you don't you you have the freedom to create new music if you want to, but you don't have to. You could just keep reaching out and pitching and trying to find placements. Right. So that's awesome. Yeah. And and the wonderful thing about it is is you know I, I tell this story all the time. Um, now, granted, I've I have. I have over 2,200 placements, okay? It doesn't mean that I've written 2,200 songs. <laughs> uh, that would be insane. But, uh, but I've, I've, I've licensed, you know, an individual track many, 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 many times over, right? You think of a song like, think of a song like, uh, I'm just pulling this off the top of my head. Think of a song like Every Breath You Take by The Police, right? Over the years, of the TV shows that you've watched, the films you've watched, how many times do you think you've heard that song in a film or a show or somewhere? You know, probably, probably, maybe we'll just say for the heck of it, we'll just say a hundred times. Um, actually, I knew the number on that particular song for a while, how much Sting earned every day on that song. Uh, and I learned that recently, um, like a couple months ago. And I, and I don't want to be quoted on it, but it was something astronomical, like $30,000 a day is what he earns on that song. It, it, wow! Don't quote me on that, but it's it's like astronomical, like that. Anyway, so that's why I'm using this particular example. Um, so, so how many times have you heard that song synchronized in a film or a TV show? And let's just say for the heck of it, you've heard that song a hundred times in your lifetime, synchronized to video. Uh, none of those video production companies, none of the, no one associated with with those companies or those productions own any rights to every breath you take by the police. Correct. That's all owned by Sting and his publisher. All they're doing is they're granting those people the right to synchronize that song to their production. Uh, and he's been able to make a killing on just one song, and granted he's had a great career with other songs, but that one song has been able to generate a lot of money over and over and over. And that, we're not even talking about all the other songs he's written. So it's the same thing with licensing. Uh, you know, I have a friend of mine who has a um, four song EP where at last count, at last count, we were at over 50 placements. Over 50 placements on a four-song EP. Uh, one of those songs has 38 placements last time we counted, and um, 14 of those placements are on a show on The Voice, over two seasons of The Voice. So here's one song that's been placed 14 times on a very popular show, but 38 times on a bunch of other shows, and a little four-song EP, that's all she has. That's all she has recorded in her catalog has generated over 50 placements. And it, it's been able to generate those placements because she went about the process the correct way, right? There is, there is a correct way to get your music into the licensing, you know, like the licensing world, just like there's a correct way to get your song out to a radio station or to get your song out to a publisher, right? They're completely different paths. And I tell people all the time, I don't work in the music industry anymore. I work in the TV industry. Because when you're licensing your music, you're no longer working in the music industry. Your end users have nothing to do with the music industry. Your end users are editors who are editing, editing TV shows. They're supervisors who are finding the right song for a particular scene in a film or a TV show. They're ad agencies finding the right song for a commercial. Sometimes they're even video game companies finding the right song for their video game. So none of those industries have anything to do with the music industry. They're using music, but it's a completely different approach to getting your music used in that industry than it is to get your songs out on the radio. This sounds amazing. Like, it's, it just sounds- It is, it's, a, it's a extremely rewarding career. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what are some ways we get get started? So, sure, and, and over the years, I've, I've figured out a path that works for me, you know, um, there, there are multiple people who, you know, everyone has their own has their own path. But over the years, as I started doing this and I started showing this process to my friends, and of course I was living in LA and, you know, a lot of struggling musicians. And so, you know, I'd be like, this is what you have to do. You have great songs, just do this. You know, and then um, I realized over, you know, many years of trial and error that it really is just a four-step process. I like processes. It comes back to the way that I work. Being a guitar player who sat in my bedroom for years learning how to become a good guitar player, I, I, I put myself through my own practice routine. I never went to school for, for it, you know. 
So I, I had a practice process, a little routine that I created. And, and I just learned that for me, systems work for me. Creating processes work. And so when it came to licensing and building my licensing career, I just kind of created my own little process as well. And, um, and then when I moved back to Nashville a number of years ago and started talking to a lot of record labels, I, I spoke at a convention and uh, music conference, I'm sorry, and a lot of publishers and labels started reaching out to me wanting to learn the licensing thing. Um, I just realized that uh, I just follow a four-step process. And I've outlined it, and I call it the four-step plan to licensing success. And it's really quite simple. The first step of the process is what I call build your catalog. And it sounds basic, of course. You know, everyone has to build their catalog. You have to have songs to start with. But what I mean when I say build your catalog, I really mean to write freely and write without boundaries or any borders. Um, and the very first thing I would tell to anyone who's listening, for the next week, stop watching TV and start listening to TV. Just lay on your couch, close your eyes, and just listen. Give yourself an hour. Uh, listen through the commercials. Just find, don't even listen to a show that, that you're familiar with. Just find any show, close your eyes, and listen. Ignore the dialogue, ignore the storyline, just listen to the music. When the commercials hit, don't get up and go to the kitchen. Just lay there and listen to the music through the commercial. You'll find that from the time you lay down, uh, say you do this at seven o'clock at night, to when you get up at, at eight o'clock, an hour later, you'll find that you've listened to music nonstop for the last hour with little, little breaks in between. Uh, but for the most part, it's nonstop music that's in the background. And you'll find that you will listen to such an unbelievable genre, a, a cr cross section of genres of music during that time. Um, because a lot of shows, you know, like they might go back in time. So you're gonna listen to some period pieces, maybe from the 1920s, you'll listen to some jazz pieces. Maybe some shows go into the future where they're going to play like some futuristic music. Obviously, you have stuff that's current. Maybe things go back to like the 90s or the 80s for a little flashback. Um, and you're going to have lots of different styles, vocalists, you know, different countries, etc. Um, so it's really an incredible listening experience. And you'll find that uh, really there's no boundaries when it comes to this style and the type of music that you're going to hear. So when I say step one of my process is to build your catalog, that's really what I mean. I just mean write without any boundaries. Don't, don't put any preconceived notions of, well, I'm gonna write a country song and this is what Tim McGraw likes to record, so I'm gonna write like this. No, just write the music that you're passionate about writing. If you're passionate about writing it, that, that passion is gonna come across even more when that song is synced to picture or synced to video, all right? That yeah, that just sounds so awesome already because it seems like it can be the other way around in the industry where you have to, you know, or you're, you're building your audience and you're, yeah. you're talking to your audience and you're imagining who they are and what they like to listen to. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like very confined. So it now is. I have to write these people and this is so free. And that's, that's exactly it. That's, you know, that's kind of what goes back to what I said earlier. You know, one of the things I love about it is, you know, I've, I, I've pursued all that. I've done the, I've done their albums and pursued the, the label deal and whatnot. And, and I know that when you're doing that and you're trying to build your fan base, diversity is a bad word. You know, you can't make a record where you've got a bunch of jazz songs and a bunch of rock songs and a bunch of EDM songs and a bunch of pop songs. You can't make a record like that. Uh, no one's going to know who you are and what you stand for. Even in the imaging, you know, in the presentation of the branding, you know, of what you're trying to do, you really can't do that. Very few artists can can cross multiple brands in their in their or multiple styles in their imaging. Um, but when it comes to licensing, you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, I can go up to my studio right now and I can write a heavy metal guitar shred track because uh, I'm in the mood for it. Or tomorrow I could get up in the morning, you know, have have a have a drink and and have some breakfast and and then go upstairs and sing some acapella tracks. And there's going to be a use for that. And in the afternoon, I could do an instrumental bluegrass piece. There's going to be a use for that. And the reality is that as musicians, we're creative individuals. You know, whether you're an artist pursuing a, a career in a, a record deal or not, the reality is that we're creative individuals who can cross multiple genres. Now, the industry is going to hold you back, and they don't want you to. They, diversity is not a good word for them because they can't sell you that way. But in licensing, you can do whatever you want. You can write any track you want any style that you want. 
So, so that's why I really say to, you know, write without any boundaries, remove all those borders. You know, I, I grew up listening to progressive rock tracks. Um, now there's no market these days as a guitar player to write progressive rock music, right? But the cool thing is, is that over the years, as I've built up my little studio and I've bought cool MIDI stuff and, and MIDI synthesizers for my guitar, I can actually play that stuff, but in play, instead of playing a, a distorted guitar, that, uh, that progressive track that I'm writing can actually turn into this big orchestral piece that becomes the trailer for a film, right? All I've done is I'm playing it the exact same way I would a, a normal, normal song on my guitar. I'm just triggering different sounds via MIDI. It's just, it opens up a whole other world of creativity. That's awesome. Well, know? that's super cool too, because when you're, you know, we've all had that moment where, you know, we're watching this film and like, it's a sad film or it's a happy film or whatever. And then the music co comes in and it makes it more sad or more happy. It really can be a way to like affect the emotions and leave an impression on people in a oh, different absolutely. way. Well, it, it, it gets back to, you know, my initial goal of being a musician was I wanted to write songs that everyone heard. And again, like I said, I thought that the medium to do that was through a band, you know, signed to a record deal and, you know, releasing albums. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, I was in China a lot. I, I go to China fairly often to, to tour, but I was in China last year. And it's kind of funny because the manager of the artist that I was with last year, we were all in a van, uh, uh, together driving somewhere and they said to me they actually brought up the fact that they watched a particular episode last night and actually heard my song in it <laughs> and I thought I remember just sitting there thinking like that's wild we're in China and you were in a hotel room listen watching a show randomly and you heard a track that you knew that I wrote that's just so cool I mean how, Super cool. how often does that happen you know but again licensing opens up that opportunity because 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 you're because you're getting around the um the gatekeepers of the music industry and you're not playing that political game anymore. You know, you don't have to go off and try and impress all your fans, you know, cause it doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to go off and, you know, try and be something maybe that you're not anymore to try and, you know, get people to, you know, buy your record or, or sign you to a publishing deal or whatever. You can write the music you want to write and, and, you know, forget what anyone else says, be passionate about what you're writing. And um, first step, that's it. Write music you're passionate about because when it's synced to video, that's going to come across. Awesome. So that's all about developing your book. And um, well, you didn't call it your book. What did you call it? Oh, my, my four-step plan to licensing success. Yeah. So step one is, is that then, then this is the thing that I think is going to blow a lot of people's minds. Step two is what I call creating valuable content. And uh, it, it means something different than you initially might, might believe it means. But here's the thing. When, whenever most of us record a song uh, and we're working, we'll say, with a mix engineer, uh, we're going to release our album, we always request, obviously, the full mix. The full mixes are what's going to be mastered and put on the record, right? But most people always request an instrumental mix as well, right? You want to have an instrumental in case you need to go, you know, sing at someone's wedding. You need to sing along to the instrumental track, right? And sometimes people will also request what they call a TV track. And a TV track is just the instrumental, but with the background vocals added, right? Um, and that's where most people stop. And that's fine. But in the TV world, what I, what I mean by creating valuable content is this. Let's say you have a 10-song record. And uh, if I told you that you could turn that 10-song record into 80 licensable tracks, you'd probably freak out and think, this is incredible, right? Oh, my gosh. I took 10 songs and I created 80 opportunities for licenses out of them. How do you do that? By creating various alternate mixes. And so for example, and I call them the valuable content. These are the valuable content that the editors and the supervisors, by editors I mean music editors for the, the TV shows, uh, can, can pull from. So for example, you obviously you have the full mix, you have the instrumental mix, those are, are two given, but you could also create an acoustic mix. You know, remove everything on the track except for just, say, the acoustic guitar and the piano and, and the vocals. That's, that's your acoustic mix. You could create a stripped-down mix. That's, uh, you know, say you have big distorted guitars and, and, uh, and, and heavy synths and stuff like that. Well, you take those out. You just have drums, bass, maybe acoustic guitar and vocals, uh, basically an acoustic mix with drums, uh, and, and that's your stripped-down mix. And, and you can keep going with this. You know, a lot of times when we're sitting mixing songs, you sometimes have those moments where you're like, oh, man, this is a, 
this is really cool. I, I could, that, that'd be a really cool mix in and of itself. Sometimes you can strip things down to just the bass and drum groove of your bass and drum mix. Again, when it comes down to uh, that, um, that homework assignment I gave you earlier of just uh, listening to music, stop watching TV. I'm sorry, uh, listening to TV, stop watching TV, just listen to TV. Uh, you'll hear a lot of these mixes, actually. You'll hear moments where there's an instrumental track that will fade in perfectly to a full mix. And all that happened was maybe there was dialogue happening. The music editor put the instrumental mix underneath the dialogue. And the second the dialogue ended, he just crossfaded into the full mix seamlessly, right? You'll hear those things all the time. By delivering these alternate mixes and, and these, these other options, uh, you're giving that editor those options to be able to really manipulate your songs uh, to fit that scene. On top of those mixes, also cut down mixes, you know, a 15 second version, a 30 second version, a 60 second version. These are essential if you want to get commercials, right? So you can see that what I do, I just came up with, I think seven off the top of my head. So if you have a 10 song record, um, that's 70 or 80 licensable tracks right there, right? And, and a lot of songs, depending on the instrumentation, you could even go in further. Maybe you could do an instrumental mix, but an instrumental mix, maybe there's a melodic instrument there, you, you remove the melody, so it's an instrumental no melody mix, right? Um, and you'll find that when you, when you deliver these options, this valuable content, your opportunities for placements will increase exponentially. And I'm gonna go back to that example I gave you earlier. A friend of mine uh, with that uh, song on on uh, on the voice. I'm a co-writer on that song, by the way. I produced it, so I'm fully aware of everything that's happened with it. Um, but it's been on the voice 14 times, but only six of those placements on the voice were the full mix. The other eight placements on over the last two years of that show were the were various other versions that we sent in. So we more than doubled the amount of placements we had on that particular show by sending in the valuable content. That's step two of the process. And that happens during the mix down phase. Very simple uh, process, but what you're doing is, is you're providing extreme and extraordinary value to your end users, right? The end users being the supervisors, the editors, um, and if you're working with a music library, the music library. Um, so the whole goal is to be value oriented to your, to your end users. And so by creating the valuable content, you're giving them a lot of options, and that just creates value for them. And well, that that sounds, you, sorry, um, that just sounds great too, because it's smart, it, like, like you said, you said you're, you're providing them value, but also they're gonna think, wow, like this guy really has his stuff together. He's giving yeah. me a lot of options to work with. This yes. other guy over here only gave me one option, so yeah. I have more freedom over here. I'm going to choose this guy. You're 100% correct. That is exactly what it is. You know, the, my, my, my goal with licensing is consistent placements. You know, uh, it's not about the big, you know, like, yeah, I've, ha I've had the big placements. I had a Super Bowl commercial last year. I'm not going to get a bigger placement than that for the rest of my career. Wow. Um, so <laughs> I've had, and I mean, I've had many big placements, but like, uh, so I've had the big placements. but and they're really nice, believe me, they, they, they can change your life, but they change your life for a short time, okay? And the big placements aren't gonna be the long, you know, they're, they're not gonna send you into retirement. What's gonna put you, cover you in retirement are the consistent placements. So my whole goal is consistent placements. I get around four placements a week. I've been averaging roughly 200 a year for the last number of years now. So I would rather have four placements a week over the course of, of a year uh, then have one or two big placements and focus on the money that you're going to get on those. And the money you get on those is great, but you know, the, the real money is in the consistency. It's in those $500, you know, uh, $1,200, $3,000, um, royalties that each of those are going to generate in your quarterly statement. Because when you have a couple of dozen of those <laughs> coming in every quarter, that adds up to a good chunk of change. So that's why consistency is important. You know, you don't look at the $500 placement and go, oh man, that's, that was only $500. Yeah, yeah, no one can live off of $500. No, not at all. But if 20 placements came in next quarter that paid you $500, that's not bad. Next quarter, that's only every three months. But then you're forgetting the other placements. Maybe you get five or six that pay 1,200 bucks. Maybe you get like 
you know, uh, three or four that pay $3,000. And so before you know it, you've made $30,000 in your quarterly statement. And then you have all the little tiny ones. You've got the little $15 ones, the $20 ones, the, the, the little ones that sit on, on a bunch of those cable shows that bring in little tiny amounts. But by having a lot of them coming in, that adds up. That might add up to an extra two or $3,000 in that statement. So really, that's, that's, that's how it works, you know? Um, so it's consistency. You gotta get the consistency. That's so cool. Your catalog is very important. Constantly creating something every day and adding to your catalog that you genuinely enjoy writing and that, that, that's so important. Then you create your content. That's gonna create your valuable content, step two. That's gonna allow you to get all those other little placements, you know? Um, and it exponentially increases your opportunities for placements and that's, that's just part of the consistent, um, the pursuit of consistency there. And then uh, the third step is metadata. Uh, and I call it mastering metadata. And it's essential. Metadata is the information that's embedded into the audio file that allows your audio file to be searched, okay? So if a supervisor is looking for the ideal song for this particular scene, and let's say the scene is a bunch of girls driving down a highway in a convertible going to the beach. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to think of something quick. No, I mean, um, they, they, you see it all the time. Yeah, you see it all the time. Okay, well, what do you need for that? Well, uh, a supervisor is going to type in keywords. They're going to have access to hundreds of thousands of songs. So they're gonna start typing in keywords. What am I thinking for this scene? Well, you know, I'm thinking convertible. So I'm gonna type in convertible. I'm thinking uh, sun, uh, sunset, maybe beach, sand, volleyball. I mean, just terms, in, any terms that can describe what's going on here. Um, bikini, uh, um, fun, summer, teenage. You know, I mean, you can keep going with that. Upbeat, you know, maybe they want a female singer. So female, right? Um, and they're gonna type in those keywords. And just like when you go into your iTunes and you type in the search bar, you know, if you, if you wanna search for a song by a particular band, instead of scrolling through all of your um, songs in your, in your iTunes, you usually go into the search bar and you type in that song, right? Well, that's metadata. That song title is embedded into that audio file so that when you type in that one song, it's gonna show up. If you wanna listen to Bruno Mars, you can just go into your iTunes and type in Bruno. And every song that has, you know, that you have a Bruno Mars is gonna show up and you just select what you want. That's metadata in a very basic form. Um, but you have to understand that your end users are looking through hundreds of thousands of songs and they're looking for songs that, that really describe the mood or the scene or the feel and they're gonna type in keywords. That's metadata. Those keywords have to be added to your song. Um, so that way, imagine it like a funnel. At the top of the funnel is gonna be three or 400,000 tracks. And at the bottom, as they're typing in these keywords, as it's funneling down, you want your song to be in those final, you know, 10 or 12 songs that are auditioned for the possible placement. So metadata just allows your song to be easily searched, auditioned, and ultimately licensed. Without metadata, you have nothing. Uh, this is the biggest thing that I get asked about um, as far as like, you know, people will want to consult with me and they want to, you know, I, oh, I, I've sent in my music and I'm, you know, I'm just never getting any placements. And then I said, well, let's just send me your file. Send me your audio file. They send me their audio file. I open it up and there's no metadata. They have the song title, the artist, and how to contact them. How does that describe the song? You know, so if you're, if you got to put yourself in the shoes of your end user, if you're an editor, looking through a, you know, trying to find the ideal song for a scene. You got to keep in mind, a lot of these shows have between 80 and 120 pieces of music in them. It's a lot of music, right? So, so they're going to type in keywords and they want to search that stuff out. So if all you're sending in is your song title, your artist name, your album, and your contact information, that's not metadata. That's not going to get you anywhere. And that's the reason why you're not getting placements. So metadata is, can be very involved and in that. I have a, I, I go very deep into metadata. Um, to the point of like becoming like a metadata ninja, <laughs> you know, but you have to, it's the golden ticket. If you don't have your metadata on point, doesn't matter how great your song is for the placement, you will never get it. Well, and so you're adding value again, because like it's easy. You got to make their job easy because if they have to do yeah. it manually, it's just overwhelming. Yeah. And, and I'm always blown away when someone says, well, I sent them my songs. Aren't they going to input all that stuff? No. Why would they? Because they're dealing with people who know what they're doing, right? That's why I put the book together, you know, like I'm 
trying to teach people like this is how to make their job easier. Your goal is never to make someone do the work for you. Your goal should always be to make their job easier and to understand the job that they have. Uh, no one wants to work with someone who's going to make their life harder. No one. And I'm always blown away when musicians are like, yeah, but I'm just going to send them the tracks and they'll do it. No. <laughs> Who would do that? Why would anyone in their right mind want to work harder by working with you? No one would. So, um, and it's just a very simple mindset shift. You, you know, no matter, no matter what role you're playing in music, whether you're a composer, whether you're a songwriter, whether you're a, a performer on stage, no matter what role you're playing, in order to be successful, you're, being, you're a service. Right when when Justin Timberlake hops on stage and sells at an arena, he's he's under the lights, but he's being a service to those people who paid the money to go see him. He's entertaining them. That's his service to them. Right. So so if you're in, in the background and you're writing songs and you're delivering it to TV or you're delivering it to your publisher, you're a service to them. You're providing a service, and uh, you always have to look at it like that. And it's a bit of a mindset shift for a lot of musicians. But once you realize that no matter what you're doing, you're serving others with your talent and your ability, that's when the doors will start opening because you're going to approach everything naturally at that point differently. So I approach everything that I do as a service to my end users. I don't want them to do a lick of work licensing my tracks. I want it to be so easy for them that they, that they, just, that they want to work with me and that they want to continue licensing my tracks. Because when they do that, that's... Again, that's how I get the consistent placements. That's how it allows me to keep doing what I enjoy doing. Awesome. So that's step three. And then step four is I call it getting your music heard. Now, this is the part of the process that a lot of musicians have uh, the hardest time with because this is where you actually have to reach out to your end users. And, uh, and actually, it's the part that I enjoy the most because it's actually the least amount of work. And this is, this is the biggest, you know, uh, thing about this that I think is really funny because a lot of people see this as being the hardest thing. And I think this is the easiest. Getting your music heard is so much easier than every other thing that we've done. It's 10 times easier than writing and recording a, piece, a song, right? It's a lot easier than sitting down and writing out all your metadata. It's really easy. Uh, all you have to do, again, is think of it, come at it with the mindset of service. Um, if I have a song that's like a... Uh, uh, let's say an, an, uh, let's say it's an EDM track or a pop track. Um, all I have to do to get it licensed, let's say, actually, let me change that. Let me say something a little easier. Let's say that I have a track that's like a pop rock track in the style of John Mayer, okay? Um, all I have to do, if I want to get that song licensed, uh, what I have to do is I have to start looking for the shows that are using John Mayer songs. And it's very simple. There's a bunch of websites out there that you can go and you can, search for that one of them is called TuneFind, and you can just go there and you can type in john mayer and you'll get a list of all the shows in the last couple of years that have been licensing john mayer songs so obviously we're in 2019 right now i would look at the shows that have 2019 on them and i would look them up and then i would find the music supervisor for them uh and i would probably do a little bit of research i'd get on hulu or or whatever if, if it's if it's on like netflix or whatever i'd maybe watch it, an episode if i could uh if it's on a particular network that i you know like at, that i have at home uh i would wait for tuesday night and you know watch the episode if i can just to get a feel right you know you got to do your research and um and then once i get get a feel for the show and 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 the kind of music that they're using. And, oh, yeah, they are using a lot of John Mayer. Actually, they're also using a bunch of Ed Sheeran. And my song's kind of in that style, too. This is perfect. That show is using music along the style of what I write. Therefore, my song should be on that show. That's my mentality. It's very simple. So then all I would do is I'd reach out to that music supervisor with a very value-added email, no more than five sentences. I would never ask a question. Uh, I would have done my research on them. I'll Google them and I'll read a little bit about them. Maybe they won an award. So I'll start off that email with, hey, you know, Bob, congratulations on the whatever. Um, and then I, I talk uh, quickly about his show. I notice you're using a lot of John Mayer and Ed Sheeran music. I happen to have some music in that style as well. And then I would just let, let them know, look, I have the, uh, I, this is where the value comes in of my four steps. I'd say I have the multiple versions. I've got, you know, the instrumentals and some, you know, uh, acoustic mix and uh, maybe a you know a stripped down mix. Uh, I can also provide him with the stems if 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 he would require those. Um, I own the master and the sync rights, which means that 
I'm controlling the master recording and I own the publishing. He doesn't have to deal with some third party. And basically everything can be licensed in five minutes with one quick email. So I let them know that I control all this and that licensing and a song and working with me will be very, very, very easy. I'm providing him with everything that he, his editor, and the re-recording mixer could possibly need. So why wouldn't he want to license it? Uh, he, it might not be the right track, but nine times out of ten, I'll get a response from him. Yeah, I would love to, would love to check it out. Please send, forward it to me. and I'll send him a streamable link. I usually use SoundCloud. And uh, never send an MP3, never send an audio file. And that's it. That can be taken care of in five, five sentences and a little bit of research. It's not hard. Wow. So, so it does require, just like anything, if you're a musician and you want to get your songs on the radio, what do you do? You generally will research the different radio stations that play music along the style of what you write, right? If you're writing pop songs, you're not going to reach out to a heavy metal radio station or, or an R&B radio station, right? Because they would never use your music. So it's the same thing in, in the licensing world. You've got to do a little bit of research, but that's not hard. Just a little bit of time on Google. You can get all the information you need in five minutes. So that's the, that's the process. And you follow the four steps, and you follow it in that order for every song that you write. And that leads to consistent song placements. That sounds so amazing. And I'm sure that everyone has a lot of questions about the details. I mean, if you're anything like me, I get caught up in the details, but I'm sure that you can help people with the details if they're interested. Sure. Like, where can we find you and learn more about you? Yeah, yeah. If anyone's interested, I mean, obviously, each step, obviously, like anything, has a couple multiple steps sure. within it, yeah. right? Um, it's four steps. But um, yeah, I have, a, I have a book that I wrote uh, that it, it, you can just go download it. It's free. You can just go to mastermusiclicensing.com. Um, and you can just download the four-step plan to licensing success and uh, it's it's fairly short you can read it in about 45 minutes to an hour depending on how fast you read uh, and and really that that's the beginning of it uh, I have a lot of blogs on the on the site um, that I share um, you know my own experiences and um, uh, you know the, the processes so I encourage people to go and read the blogs as well um, yeah, and, and so all that stuff is just on mastermusiclicensing.com. Wow. Well, this has been great. I mean, my mind is blown. I would have, this is not like what I'm doing personally right now because I'm helping singers, but if I was creating my own music, I would be like, wow, this is yeah. really going to, like this could open some doors. It, you know, the, the biggest thing is the, 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 the licensing industry is growing. That's, that's the biggest aspect because, again, the licensing industry is, is working primarily with you know, TV shows, films, film and video game trailers, and the video game industry. So when you look at all of those industries, all of those industries are growing, right? And that's why I say that I don't work in the music industry. I work in the TV industry. Uh, there are over 500 TV shows currently in production. Uh, uh, but when you look at the last 10 years of the music industry, it's, it, it's, it's gone down exponentially. Um, but when you look at the last 10 years of the, the TV industry, just TV industry alone, just scripted shows alone, not even like the reality shows, just scripted shows alone, uh, there's been a 176% increase in scripted shows in the last 10 years. You know, just scripted shows where I'm talking about video games and that whole, that's a whole other world in and of itself that is quickly becoming larger than the, than the film and TV industry combined. So all of those you know, industries need music because they're growing so rapidly, they need good music and they need music provided by people who understand what they're doing. Uh, that's really the biggest thing. You know, my, my business partner and I, we could work 24 seven, 365 days a week trying to catch up with the amount of requests that we get for songs. And, and pieces of music. There's just so much opportunity in this industry. But you just, you know, a lot of musicians need to learn how to navigate it because it is slightly different than the music industry. So, yeah. Wow. That's it. Well, that sounds great. Thank you so much for all of your info. It, like I said, it's just so exciting. <laughs> yeah, it is exciting. It is very exciting. I love this. I'm very happy that uh, I'm very blessed that I fell into this 
uh, un unknowingly 15 years ago. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you so much for choosing to hang out with me today. You are amazing for pursuing your dreams and becoming the star singer that you were meant to be. You can join the star singer movement by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or sharing this episode on IG stories. Leaving a rating and sharing this episode helps this podcast get seen by way more singers just like you. And that is creating a massive impact in one of the giant goals of this podcast, which is eliminating fear, anxiety, and non-productive competition from the music industry and helping to create a new music industry for singers based on collaboration, love, and making a difference and a real impact with your music.